this parable likely wouldn't have even happened if Jesus' sermon hadn't been interrupted. There was some sort of a crowd disturbance taking place, and uh, Jesus had actually had already been talking about um, earlier even in the context, verses 4 through 7, talking about a bold and courageous life because God is there outside of your life. So, he's talking about spiritual awareness, okay? And then he gets into verses 8 through 12, and it gets more intense because he's talking about you got to be more spiritually aware because you might be in a situation where your life is on the line, and you don't need to be worrying about what God's, you know, what you ought to be saying in those situations. God's going to come, and He's going to speak through you, so you know what you'll have to speak. And then all of a sudden, boom, <laughs> this guy sitting in the crowd asks this question, and uh, what's so ironic about this interruption? One, two, three… <laughs> What makes it ironic that this guy would ask about an inheritance in the midst of the sermon flow? Sarah? Oh, I'm sorry. Do we know what irony is? Irony means something that is contrary to what's expected. It's a little bit off-beat, a little bit. It might be a way of describing it for this scenario. Go ahead, Drew. I mean, it seems like he wasn't really paying attention very much. Like okay. He just, it, it seems like he just came there to ask a question. He wasn't really listening before this because he would have picked up on these ideas that, you know, God is going to be able to take care of you and God is going to be strong enough for you. You don't need to worry about these things. I mean, even in, you know, in verse 4, he's talking about, you know, even though men kill the body, mm-hmm. he's be really worried about temporal things. Okay. Good observation. Good observation. Any other thoughts? Jack? Good example, yeah. Good object lesson. Yeah, Jesus in the midst of it turns it just exactly as it's supposed to be. Yeah. Good illustration, yep. Yeah. So, so there's like an object lesson opportunity for sure, and it's almost a contrast here, isn't it? Jesus is talking about spiritual things, and he's like really concerned about like temporary things. He's concerned about an inheritance. So, He's, he's really not listening to listen. He's not really there to hear spiritual truth. He's, he's kind of like walking in and not really listening. And so, not really concerned. And so, it becomes very obvious that that is the case. But there's also another irony that takes place right on the flip side of this. And in verse 14, Jesus just turns right around and says, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter?" with you. How, why is that an ironic statement? Yes, Jim. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. He is the one who is able to see 
And, and at times in the gospel writing, he did demonstrate that he could see exactly what people were saying inside their heart. He could tell what people were thinking. So the, the question that, that he asks here of Jesus, he says, uh, uh, the, the, man, the man tells him, basically, he's, he's not going to decide this. Jesus says, I'm not going to decide this. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to defer to what the law has already said. Well, the law had actually given specifications in Deuteronomy 21, 15 to 17, that those who were of a firstborn had privilege to a double portion. Now, for this man, because there were two in the family, that means that he would have gotten about two-thirds of the inheritance, and the other, the younger, would have gotten a third. And so, it's, it's kind of a kind of a little bit of a complicated calculation based on how many kids are in the family. But of course, to be the firstborn was a great privilege. And so, uh, he was revealing here, he, Jesus knows the law, but this man who was obviously younger thought that he would, you know, if he could just get Jesus on his side, then, then maybe, uh, maybe he could kind of sway the vote a little bit. And uh, that wasn't going to be what happened. Well, Jesus responds here in verse 15 very strongly. He gives a very strong statement here about probably one of the strongest statements on covetousness that's in Scripture. He says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of covetousness. And here the the original language when it's talking about all kinds of covetousness, against all covetousness. He's literally like all forms, all kinds of it, anything that that might even look like covetousness. And uh, it's the idea of having an excessive compulsion for something that that is, in the end, going to destroy you. Now, I have been sick this week, and uh, earlier this week, my appetite was nearly gone. I weighed in at the, I don't tell you what I weighed in at, but I did weigh in five pounds less than I typically do at the doctor's office when I was in there, and I thought, man, did I lose that much so fast? And uh, well, as the week went on, I got a little bit better, so what happens is the appetite returns, right? Okay? So you begin to like really uh, excessively eat in some areas, and I found the cookie dough. I found the cookie dough in the fridge, and I took the cookie dough in the container and took it all with me to work. <laughs> and that was, I started eating that, I was halfway through it, and I was like, this is disgusting, can't, I can't eat any more of this. And I said, I'm going to save the rest of this for next week. <laughs> but I had an unrestrained, excessive desire for cookie dough that actually made it so that I didn't share it with anyone. <laughs> I brought it with me. It's terrible. And that's just an example, but what are some things that we can have an excessive desire for? They may be good things, even. Maybe I took the greatest example away. <laughs> well, what are some things that we could? I mean, I mean, the obvious one is money, too. You know, it's not a bad thing, but we could get a hunger for it in a way that is unhealthy. It's not wrong in of itself, but we may have an uncontrolled appetite for it. What else? Ron? 
Yeah. Yeah, desiring honor. Yeah. Nick? Entertain. Mm-hmm. Power, entertainment. Power, if it's used godly, is not a bad thing, right? If we're using it to serve others, that definitely can be a blessing. Any other ideas? Drew? Cars. You're not making enough as an intern. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> it could, well, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it could be. That could be. Anybody else? What is the root of this problem, though? What is the root of this problem? Self, yeah? Greed, okay. Think through the Ten Commandments with me for a moment. The first commandment is, thou shalt not have any other God before me, right? The tenth commandment is, thou shalt not covet. And they're like bookends. And when we covet something and we desire something so much, we actually create it and put it into the category of the first commandment. It becomes a God, something that we're worshiping. And so there's a great danger here and Jesus has got a great warning here. He's saying, you know, a man's life doesn't possess of the abundance of his possessions. That's the tail end of verse 15. And another way of translating that, which means just about the same thing, is that it's, if you were to take it, you could translate it as, even when a man has more than enough, his wealth does not in the end give him life. But either way, the point's clear. Life itself is more than things, and success and worth in life or power or praise or whatever it is is not, in the end, what gives us what we need. And so, there is within this story another irony that… this man who had great wealth became a fool because he forgot several things. He forgot there were several things that he really wasn't factoring into his equation. He wasn't calculating very well. And so I want to point out a few of them. The first is he forgot other people. I mean, he wasn't factoring in the fact that there are other people in his world. He was really only considering himself, and self was one of those words that came up early on as a root. Well, the elevation of self into the place of God can be that as well. And if you look at his word, the word choice that Jesus uses in verse 16 through uh, 19, um, notice, do a little mental calculation. I'm going to read it again, but notice how many times he says I or my. And the, he said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully in verse 17, and he brought and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Eat, relax, eat, drink, and marry. So this is, this is not just a, a, an English grammar thing. This is like a, an intentionally phrasing here, even in the original language. 
The, the significance of I here is very apparent. He wasn't even considering the fact, now this is a parable, but this man who was rich wasn't even considering that there were others along the road that made him rich. There were people who planted. There were people that harvested. But he was only consumed with his own thoughts of what he was going to do with all of this cash resource. This, and, and he wasn't really thinking about any consideration for those who worked alongside of him. And I think he forgot, I think it's very clear here that he forgot other people. And another illustration of self-deprecation on Saturday morning. A dozen donuts, chocolate donuts. <laughs> How do you split a dozen donuts evenly between seven people? Somebody's getting knocked out. You know? And the temptation can be to eat all the donuts or eat more than your share. But you know, it's so easy to forget of other people, especially when that moment where we're thinking, I need it, I need it, I need it, and I should bring the dough back with me tonight. Home. Yeah, I should. But what else did this man forget? He also forgot that a man is more than what he owns. We often tend to equate what we have with who we are, and it's so easy to do especially in our materialistic culture here in America. I even see that temptation. I, I, I saw that temptation as I was growing up, and it's so easy. I remember off-the-cuff illustration, you know, back in Canada, the skateboarding trend was a huge thing. When I was in public school, if you didn't have size 40 waist pants that were hanging down by your ankles, you were nobody. And it became an identity thing and what you owned and people were paying like gazillions of dollars just to own the latest Nike Air. And that became like I had to have this to be who I am or to be who I want to be. But Jesus here is clearly teaching here that a person is more than what they own. They're a soul that goes on and on forever in either heaven or hell. And so we have great worth in God's eyes by virtue of that. Just another side illustration here. We just, Abby had just been recently taking some students for piano and she got a phone call from a, a lady who was uh, from New York City or had moved out from New York. And she went on and on about how she worked in the mayor's office and so you know she was talking about all the landscaping things that she had to do and she had to put off you know her piano lesson and then there was this and that and it was just like not to knock New Yorkers because anybody can do this type of thing talking large about who they are to give an impression about what to, to you know invalidate who they really aren't you know like it's sad and it's so easy to inflate our resume if we're not careful. But not only did he forget that, he also forgot the real source of happiness here. 
man here thought that he was going to make himself happy by accumulating all these things. He thought that that was going to be where it was going to be. Flip over in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 for a minute. That's after the Psalms and the Proverbs. <laughs> I'm using a different Bible, a newer Bible here, so it's, not, it's harder to find in a newer Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, kind of a longer section, but would someone like to just here read it for us? Would be willing to do that? Becca, are you willing? Ecclesiastes 2, uh, 3 through 11. I say. So here's Solomon, the wealthiest person who has ever lived. There was really nothing left that he had never had tried. And what did he conclude after getting to the end of everything? It's really not, it's, that's really not where you find your satisfaction. That's not where it is. And how true it is of we can pursue all kinds of activities in life, and while they can be for personal enjoyment, and I'm not wanting to take away from any of those, but, you know, we can pursue something like it's a God that can give me the happiness that I desperately need, and it's going to let us down every time. And so, flipping back to the, par- uh, the parable here, he forgot the source of happiness, and ultimately, he forgot God. And here's that real root of idolatry. When we attribute to a temporal thing what only God can provide, we're making it into something that's going to fail. Paul said to Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. And uh, that was the greatest blunder. He, he thought that, thank you, all of these things that he… Um, 
was after was going to give him the satisfaction he desperately needed. And he factored out, he didn't factor God into the equation. He, he just, uh, you know, he was making plans. James chapter 4, 13 to 15, the wealthy man goes on business trips and he goes and he plans, I'm going to go into this city this day and then another day I'm going to go over to here. But then he doesn't realize that God calls and accounts. All of our life is but a vapor. And this kind of leads into the last thing that he forgot was that he forgot death. And Jesus points it out here. He thought he had plenty of time to live, but he only had one day. And that's how it is in our life. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we know the God who holds tomorrow. He is the one whom we put all of our confidence and trust in. Someone said that the devil doesn't whisper in our ears, thou shalt not surely die. Instead, he says, thou will not die so soon. It's very true. We tend to not think about what may be. The reality is we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And at the height of his, his exuberance and hubris here, he's He's cut short. It's like a dandelion. This is dandelion season. Love to cut those things short. He's just, he's cut off like a dandelion bloom. Gone with the wind. And so Jesus here concludes this little parable. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. How are we then rich with God? Open-ended question. How is it that we're rich towards God? Nick. Right. There's a, an inner happiness and a joy that can't be replaced. It's very true. And that's a, a being rich towards someone is, is a kind of a metaphor for um, heaping upon them something. And when we are heaping upon God our treasures, we really aren't able to do that tangibly, are we? But in the Scripture here, in the broader context about not being anxious and full of anxiety, being rich towards others may be that we're giving our goods to help others, that we're not storing up so much that we're ignoring the potential good that we can do for others around us. I mean, in verse 34 of the broader context here, and I, I loved how the kids kind of did that acting out for us with the broader context, it says in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
And if our heart is rich towards God, it's going to manifest in different kinds of ways. Now, you know, without being arbitrary, in everyone's life situation, different. But there's going to be a richness of release from ourselves and holding and hoarding of any resource that we have, but of giving out towards God through others. I believe that that is the essence of what Jesus was saying there. That's how we're rich towards God. And there are many, many ways that we can do that by loving one another through meals, through, through acts of kindness and taking away some of our personal time to serve others. And it's a, it's a very... It's a very open-ended opportunity that we have uh, to help one another. All right.